Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, first Thessalonians. We're going to read together from chapter 3. And verse 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen. We stand. Well, you will remember from our last sermon in First Thessalonians, which does seem some time ago now, the love that Paul has for the believers in Thessalonica, he, prepare, he pre- compares that love to the love of a nursing mother for her children or an encouraging father. And as we transition from chapter 2 towards chapter 3, we move from his love to his longing, the deep hunger he has to meet with them again. This is a desire that has up until now remain un, remained unfulfilled. Brothers, he says in verse 17 of chapter 2, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. 
How did Satan stop Paul? Well, we don't know. It could have been ill health. It could have been persecution. Paul does mention persecution in chapter 3. It could have been the politics of the day. It could have been any number of things. We don't know how Satan stopped him, but we do know that he is troubled because he is aware of the sufferings of these young believers in Thessalonica. He knows that they find themselves in a hard place and they are young in the faith. And he is concerned as to what they are facing and how they are doing in the face of such opposition and hardship. And it shouldn't surprise us that the Thessalonians were facing hardship, that they were struggling, that they were suffering, because the Bible is consistent and clear in saying that the people of God will not be spared suffering or sorrow as we follow Jesus. The Bible tells us that man, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. We are not exempt from the normal sufferings of life lived in this world broken by sin. The normal struggles and, and, and uh, troubles and tribulations that people face, we face them too. I remember when I was first uh, diagnosed, a lot of people saying to me, I don't understand how God can allow this to happen to a young man who is uh, serving him. And I really appreciated, and I, I still really appreciate the love and the concern that, that, that lay behind that question, but we have to remember that all of us are called to full-time Christian service. We might not all be called to stand behind a lectern like this and speak on a Sunday, but we're all called to full-time Christian service. And none of us are promised a life free from sickness or struggle or sorrow. Actually, if anything, we should expect more hardship as we seek to follow Jesus, because we have a, a different type of struggle added on top of the other ones. We have persecution as we work against the flow of the culture of the society in which we find ourselves, as we battle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual principalities and powers. The Lord Jesus said to those who were considering a life lived following Him, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's not going to be comfortable if you leave your old life behind to come 
and to follow me. He went on to say, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So as we move back to Thessalonians, move into chapter 3, we'll see the type of suffering that Paul has in mind when he thinks about these young believers. He says in verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Now, obviously, God may be pleased to heal those who are sick and to deliver those who are suffering, and He grants His people grace and peace even in our trials. And we look forward to a day when all these things will be cast aside and we will be welcomed into this glorious new reality that the Lord Jesus Christ will create. But today, in the here and now, we are not exempt from them. And Paul knows that, and he is worried. He is worried to the point that he says he can stand it no longer. What's become of them? How will they cope without, without me by their sides to hold their hand, to teach them, to guide them, to instruct them, to, to model the Christian life for them? So what can he do in his distress? Well, some of us have loved ones who live far away, don't we? In England or in Australia or in Canada or in Ireland, many miles away. And we long to know what they are doing and how they are doing. So we might write them a letter or we might pick up the phone. Or we might pick up our uh, laptop or our tablet. We can write letters and put them in a box with a stamp. We can send pictures. We can telephone them so that we hear their voices as if they were in the very same room as us. We can FaceTime and there are non-Apple alternatives to FaceTime out there. Uh, we, we, we have their, their, their faces right there. I mean, they could be thousands of miles away. And we're holding our tablet or our phone in front of us or our computer, and their faces are right there. It's like they're in the room with us, having a real uh, live conversation with them. But none of these things were were options for the Apostle Paul. All of these things are relatively recent. So what does he do? Well, he sends his young prodigy in his place. He sends Timothy to strengthen and encourage them in their faith, verse 2. So yes, suffering is part of our story in Christ Jesus, but God will help us and one of the means by which he is pleased to help us is through the encouragement of other people. Timothy is sent by Paul and Silas, we might say, to encourage these young believers. That's one of his jobs, to bring encouragement. But he has another job, to work out how they are doing 
and to bring a report back to the Apostle Paul and to Silas in Athens. So imagine for a moment that you are Timothy and you arrive in Thessalonica, you are greeted by this young church and you know that you have to encourage them, uh, you have to bless them, you have to bring messages from, uh, from the Apostle Paul. But you've also to assess how well they are doing, where they are spiritually, whether they've made progress or whether they're moving backwards in the face of the, the opposition and the persecution uh, that they're experiencing. How would you go about doing that? What would you look for? What criteria would you use to measure the health of a young church? The modernity of the songs that it sings? The growth in number of those uh, attending the church? Or the growth of number of those coming into membership or the growth in number of those being baptized. The popularity of the church in the community that it finds itself within. The number of clubs and groups and auxiliary organizations that are beginning to form. What criteria do you use for a spiritual health check? Well, it seems to me as I read this chapter that Timothy, unsurprisingly, looks for faith expressing itself in love. What is faith? Well, faith is at its most basic level trusting in what we cannot see. It is by faith that we enter the kingdom of God as we trust in Jesus Christ, the one who lived and died and rose again for us. And we are called in Christ to walk by faith daily, to walk trusting in Him day by day. There's a lot that these early believers in Thessalonica would have been able to have seen. They would have seen the way that they were shunned and harmed by Jew and Gentile alike. They would have seen the idolatry and the temptation that surrounded them in this big Macedonian metropolis of Thessalonica. They would have seen so much stuff that might have given them cause to throw their hands up in despair and to leave this life behind, to walk away. No wonder Paul was so concerned about them. I think of the, uh, the seed that fell on rocky ground. had no roots, Jesus says. The one who 
received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word at once, receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Maybe that's what Paul's worried about, that they, they, they shot up with such promise and such life and such energy and enthusiasm, but now persecution has come. Maybe the roots didn't go down deeply enough, and they'll have walked away and left their faith in Christ Jesus. That could be them, but it wasn't them. Their faith was strong, Verse 6, but Timothy has just now come to us from you. It's like he can't wait to write. He's so overjoyed. He goes straight for his pen and his piece of paper. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Verse 7, therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Verse 8, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How do you know that a church is standing firm in the Lord, that it is strong in the faith? What means do you use to test that? I, I sometimes, I think I've said before, I get my money's worth out of the NHS. So I have, a, I have a neurologist, I have an endocrinologist, I have a GP, I have an oncologist, I have all these ologists looking after me, and I have all these different appointments. And I go to one appointment, and sometimes they'll type in my name and get the the stuff on screen, they'll say, when did you last have your bloods taken this year? Not long ago, just the other week there, and they'll say, oh, that's good, and then they'll have a look, and they'll say, oh, why did that ologist not test for this or test for that? And they'll go into their wee filing cabinet, they'll get out a plastic bag, and they'll scroll some stuff, and see. they'll say, you need to have this tested, and I'll take the bag, and I'll have to go and get my bloods tested again. So what do you need to have tested to know that you are standing strong in the faith? What do you need to have checked? Well, you could check the website of the church, couldn't you? For a constitution or for a statement of faith. But these things can be far removed from reality. In reality, you look to the lives of the people. To have faith in Christ is to be faithful to Christ. And the same is true for us as individual followers of Jesus. To have faith in Christ is to be faithful to Christ. So we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Because if we truly have faith in Jesus, if we are truly trusting Jesus, we will obey Him. 
Our faith in Jesus will show itself by the lives that we are living, by the love that we are showing to others. So we could look to the fruit of the Spirit as we thought about with the boys and girls. But Timothy seems to think it sufficient here to look to their love. Paul normally mentions three great virtues of the Christian faith. Faith, hope, and love. And he says at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 that love is the greatest. Maybe because it goes to the very nature of God. Maybe because it is eternal. We don't know. But love is the greatest. And these believers are loving each other. They are doing well, standing firm in the Lord, loving everyone in His name. Striking that Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. C.S. Lewis says, every Christian would agree that a person's spiritual health is exactly proportional to their love for God. They are loving God and they are loving others in His name. But they've not arrived. Do you see that in the chapter? They're doing really well, and Paul is really pleased, but they've not arrived. There's room for more. There's room for growth. Verse 12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And exactly the same thing can be said of their faith. Verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. They're doing well, but they're not yet the perfect picture of Christ-likeness. They're not yet fully mature in Him. And none of us are. None of us. Even the Apostle Paul. I think Paul offers us a great example of what it ought to be to be a Christian. Because he's, he's looking back at those who are younger in the faith than him. Those who are less mature, and he's encouraging them to, to, to move forward, to advance, to progress, to become more mature. But he's not fixated on looking back the way, on discipling others. 
He remembers that he too is a disciple. And so he looks forward that he might grow, that he might progress, that he might move forward. He says to the Philippians, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So how are you doing? How are you doing? Give yourself a once-over, a spiritual health check, uh, an MOT to see that you're still spiritually uh, roadworthy. Are you standing firm in the Lord? Are you believing in Jesus, looking to Him, trusting in Him, expressing that trust uh, through the love that you have for others? articulating that trust in the thoughts that you think, in the words that you speak, in the deeds that you do? Are you making progress? I know that I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but as paradoxical as it sounds, to stand firm in the Lord is to press on with the Lord. Are you growing in love for the Lord and for His people? Are you growing in your love for those who are not God's people? Are you growing in your love for people that you don't really think deserve that love as you continue to reflect on the love with which He loved you when you didn't deserve it? If a Timothy were sent to this church, how would we do it? Let's pray that he would leave with a report of good news about our faith in Jesus. Faith expressing itself through love to the glory of his great name. Let's bow our heads together as we pray.